thank you, Lord, for allowing your word to be a light into our path. And we thank you, Lord, that your word encourages us and your word lifts us up. And that, Lord, it is your word that gives us even our future, oh God. And, Lord, we pray that as we look into, the, into your word, that your Holy Spirit might guide us and direct us. Help us to see clearly, O oh God, what you have planned. And let us have understanding of it, O God, that, Lord, that we might be like the watchmen on the wall that will warn others, O God, before it even takes place. Help us, O God, to take serious the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us to take seriously, O God, that one day, O God, the church will be caught up. Help us to take it seriously, O God. That, Lord, that we are to work while it is yet day, for night cometh. Help us to take it seriously, O God, to be able to share your word. That, Lord, that when things begin to take place, people will be able to recall what they've heard, O God. Lord, may you minister to us. May you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, take your words off of the written page and write them upon our hearts. And Lord, will give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What John sees in heaven. What John sees in heaven in chapter 12. And last week we talked about the two witnesses for a little bit. Understand these two witnesses. Because it says, boy, they start in the temple on earth to measure that and so forth. And to... Uh, measure the value of the worship and of the hearts and what was taking place in that temple. Was it really worthy of God? That's the first verse. And then when you end that chapter, chapter 11, it says, in the temple of heaven. And then John in chapter 12, 1, comes right back and says the signs that he sees in heaven. Those two witnesses help us also to understand the time in which we're living in. For they themselves, in a sense, stand alone. And God caused these two witnesses to be. That they might witness to him and share the gospel. And it said that the word of God, in a sense, tormented the people. It tormented the people. Understand something. The word of God today, it torments or it draws. It torments and it keeps people away or it draws people to the Lord, one or the other. And understand that the word of God is the only thing that can really give people peace. Life is a struggle and most of us are trying to survive life. The thing about survival is this. Survival is a plan of Satan. Because if he can get you where you're so busy in the area of survival, you won't have time for God because you are trying to just survive each and every moment. God has a plan for you, but it's not a plan of survival. God has a plan for each and every one of our lives that we will live an abundant life, however that might be. He just describes it as an abundant life. But we need to understand Satan has a plan. God has a plan. And it even said that those people celebrated Go with me to Revelation 11 before we go into 12. It says, boy, the people themselves. In verse 9, he says, for 
Three and a half days, men from every people, tribe, language, and nation were gazing on their bodies and refused them burial. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other gifts because these two prophets had tormented those who live on earth. They torment, but what I want you to see and see clearly is the character of the people at this time. They could care less if somebody lies dead in the street. The other day, the news was about a young man who stabbed somebody on the subway, but other people just stood and watched And some even turned. And nobody tried to help. Nobody tried to stop. And the question that the newscaster and psychologist that we're talking with is how numb people are becoming towards violence that takes place in public. And yet no one will assist the one who's being attacked. So pretty soon it's going to be that It won't matter if we step over a dead body in the street. (laughs) We'll go down Copley Road walking on the sidewalk and just step over some dead body because we've been so sensitized that it doesn't matter anymore. And it says, boy, they party. They gloated over this. They had fun over it. That when you get to the last verse, it comes to that point again in 1911, in 1119, it says, Then God's temple in heaven was open. So we transfer from the temple on earth to the temple in heaven. And God begins to show John from the beginning to the end of things. And oftentimes, as we go through these things, we have all these symbols, and we're not going to go very fast through chapter 12, because chapter 12 has also been called the key to understanding the book of Revelations and the whole Bible. This chapter has been called simply that by many, that it is the key to Revelations and the whole Bible to understand it all. So so we're going to kind of walk through this at a slow pace for that we can grab because there's a lot of symbolicness in this. And we want to be able to capture it. Why is it called that? Because it reveals the conflict it really does reveal that conflict that takes place. And oftentimes we forget that there is a conflict that's going on. And when we miss the conflict, we're fighting. And we don't even understand that we're fighting. And with the whole process there, let me see if I can get you on with me. I'm not moving anywhere. It's time to put the new one up. Who? Okay. 
the, the whole process is that there's this fight that's going on. And it's the conflict that has taken place down through the ages. And the conflict surrounds basically these three. Israel, God has chosen to make like the centerpiece of the table. That doesn't mean there's nothing else on the table. But most eyes always look at what? The centerpiece. And even in Revelations, Israel is the centerpiece. But going all the way back, Old Testament, Israel is the centerpiece in a sense. And then Christ. And then Satan. That this war goes on and this conflict goes on between these three. Now, oftentimes when we're interpreting revelations, Gentiles are left out in many ways. Church is left out because we say it's gone. The whole process that I want you to look at as we go through this is the effects. Is the effects. That will take place. Okay. Because see this conflict. Don't think of it just happening. At the moment of tribulations. It's happening now. But the thing is this. It's intensifying. It's getting worse. It's getting worse. It's intensifying. And that's the thing that you and I as Christians have to understand. That the intensity, that, that, that Satan is given a little bit more room to operate and to move and do. Because his time is getting shorter. His time is getting shorter. And he knows that. The story has its main characters that we talked about, Israel, Jesus, and Satan. And we often hear that this is only about Israel. It's not. Take note of this word, nations. And usually when the word nation is used, it's speaking of Gentiles. Nations include all other groups outside of Israel. Turn with me to Matthew 24, because Matthew 24 is also usually referred to as that which only refers to the Jews. But then there is something that is stated in Matthew 24. And I'm the type of guy that I ask sometimes, okay, why is this even mentioned? If it's only about the Jews, don't even need to mention this group. If it's only about the Jews, you can leave this group totally out. But the word brings it in. And because the word brings it in, it causes me to have to think about it or at least deal with it some. So it says in 24-7, he says, nations will rise against who? Nations. If this is only about the Jews, 
You don't have to even say anything about nation rising against nations. Now, you could say, okay, nations are going to rise against Israel. We know that's going to be true also. But here he makes it very clear. Nation will rise against nations. Here's wars, rumors of wars. This ongoing fighting. And, and the process is just, it goes on. Now, look at verse 14 also. Just jump down in there. And it says, And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to who? All nations. Now, catch the other part. And then the end will come. And then the end will come. After the gospel has been preached to all nations, to every language group, to every group of people, then the end will come. We're getting closer to it. Because we have a smaller pocket of people yet who have not really heard or where the gospel have not been preached. But we keep chomping away at it and it's getting smaller and smaller and smaller. But he says again, every nation. Go to Revelation 11.9. We're back in here with these two individuals. And it says, boy, for there, for three and a half days, men from every people, tribe, language, and what? Nation. That don't exclude, that, that's what? <laughs> includes. Doesn't exclude, it includes. The other nations are not Jews, but every nation will see this. Every nation will hear these two give their testimony and their witness. Every nation will bear to this. And he says, if you take note of it, every eye is drawn to Jerusalem to witness what is taking place. Now, in Revelation 11, John starts in the temple, ends in the heavenly temple. In 12:1, he sees a wonderful sign. He sees a wonderful sign. Go to 12:1 with me. A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. That woman is Israel. That woman is Israel. Uh, ready to give birth to who? To her Messiah. The one that they've been looking for. The one that they've been expecting. Israel. And Israel, all through its history, and even today, still looks for what? Their Messiah. Their Messiah. Not knowing Jesus Christ was their Messiah. 
And it describes this woman. So when it describes this woman here, it's not so much dealing with John in the present. It takes John back where? To the past. So these passages are going to deal with the past, the present, and also the future. If you go with me to Isaiah 7.14, and there it speaks of this virgin who would bring forth this child, and it would bring it forth down to the lineage of Israel. So it says in 7.14 of Isaiah, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The Lord saying, hey, I don't want you to miss this. This hasn't happened in history. But this will be the sign that is given. And the sign is simply this. The virgin will be with child. How is that? But that's the sign. That a virgin, somewhere in your history, a woman will become pregnant and bring forth a son without being intimate with a man. That's the sign. And he says, you will call his name Emmanuel. Now go to Matthew 123, because now we're going to see it somewhat fulfilled. And, and yet, the majority of the Jewish nation missed it. Not all Jews. Why? Because we know the apostles believed it. We know others believed it. So we can't say all. But what we can say is the majority of Israel missed it. So he says in verse 23, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, when was this promise given of this woman bringing forth a child coming through the line of Israel? Go all the way back to Genesis now, chapter 3. The next week we'll pick up a little bit to show how Satan has been battling this down through the ages. Because when this promise was given, Satan was aware of it too. Some authors say the reason of the flood was because Satan, he so diluted and deceived the people. So one way to get rid of life was what? Because Satan knows how God will respond to a certain, when it comes to sin. He just don't know how long God will wait before he responds, but he knows this. God will always respond to sin because he's a just God. Now, we may turn our heads to sin, and we may turn our backs to sin, and we may not want to see sin. God sees it, and God deals with it. May not be just at that exact moment, but you may commit a sin today, and you'll weep for that sin ten months later. 
and you'll know why you're in the difficulty you're in. You'll know why what's going on in your life, and you can pinpoint it right back to that sin. In Galatians, I'm sorry, in Genesis 3.15, it simply says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offsprings and heirs. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Speaking of the coming of Christ, and Christ himself even dying for our sins. In Hebrews 7.14, it gives us a little clearer reference of where Jesus, in a sense, was born. Not so much the location but into what group of people. And it comes to a place that, boy, if he was going to be a high priest, why not bring him out of the Leviticus priesthood? He didn't come out of the Leviticus priesthood. He come out of the tribe of Judah. Same as David. For he was going to be much more than just a priest. He was going to be king. So he comes out of the kingly, in a sense, tribe. And will sit on the throne of David. So in Hebrews 7, and verse 14, it simply says, For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah. From where? Judah. One of the twelve tribes of Israel. But not out of the priestly tribe, out of Judah. And it says, And in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. So scripture even tells us. Wasn't no priest supposed to come out of where? Judah. But Jesus does. Who is the great high priest. Comes. And this is this child that this woman Israel is going to give birth to. Now, it speaks of the sun, the moon, and it uses that symbolness. But go back with me to Genesis 37. Genesis chapter 37, 9 through 11. And Joseph has also been characterized as a type of Christ. He says in verse, and pick up here at 9, No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld, oh, oh, where am I at? 37, 37, I'm in 39, 37. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and 11 stars, he would be the 12th, but 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream that you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, 
But listen to what Jacob did. But his father kept the matter in what? In mind. But when you look back up in nine, look what part of his dream was. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and the eleven. Now, go back to Revelation with me. The twelve sons of Jacob. And it says, a woman clothed with the sun and with the moon. See Joseph's dream? Sun and the moon. But look at what else it says now. Under her feet and a crown of what? Twelve stars. Who are the twelve stars? The twelve tribes of Israel. The twelve tribes of Israel. And it says she cried out with great pain. That there was a great cry in Israel. And you remember what Herod did. That when Christ was born and it was past his time because he killed all the children up to two years old. And it said there was a great cry in Ramah. There was a great cry in Israel among the Jews. A great cry. Then there's another sign. And John picks up this other sign now. And he simply says, Then another sign appeared in heaven. Enormous red dragon. Now, that's how Satan is seen by John. Red. A red dragon. Could it be all of the bloodshed that Satan caused to take place? And the color of blood is what? Red. Could it be? Could it be? Because he describes him as a red dragon. Take a few moments with me now and let's look at this Satan and this thing red for a little bit. Because Satan comes to what? Kill. Satan comes to kill. Now, let me share this with you. Satan does not have the authority or the power to kill. But that doesn't mean Satan can't get you so hyped up, so confused, so mixed up, that you kill somebody else. And we're going to see that in Scripture. That Satan has that power to influence, and Satan has that power to suggest. And Satan has that power that 
the individual kills. Now, in John 10.10, go there with me, St. John 10.10, he simply says this about Satan. He says, the thief comes to steal and to kill. First, understand this here. Satan didn't come to steal any earthly thing. Satan don't care about your car. He ain't interested by stealing your car. He ain't interested by stealing your radio out your car. He ain't worried about stealing your things about your home. Satan ain't worried about grabbing your 50 or 60 inch TV that's up on your wall. Satan ain't trying to steal that. But Satan is out to steal the joy of the Lord and the peace of God and a relationship that you can have with God need to understand that. Satan's out to steal your spiritual wealth, not your earthly wealth. He's out to steal your spiritual wealth. And he says, he's out to kill them. He's out to kill. It's amazing that when people lose so much or people feel that they have nothing, or, or, or people feel empty on the inside, they'll even take their own life. They'll even take their own life. We've seen it with movie stars, we've seen it in singing, we've seen it in drug world, we've seen it in many different areas. When people get so wound up in here, they take their own life. They hurt themselves. Mm-hmm. Satan didn't do it, but did Satan influence it? Yes. Go back to Job. He could not take Job's life. He was limited on that. Because life and death is in the hands of who? God and him alone. But he says, boy, he come to do what? To steal and to kill and to destroy. You need to underline that word kill because Satan really is out to kill you. you. Need to understand that. Satan in modern term, Satan's out to waste you. Now go to John eight forty four, just one page over. He says He says, You belong to your father the devil. And you want to carry out your father's what? Here's the influence. Your father's what? Desires. Now, follow the rest of it. He was a what? And what do you want to do? Carry out your father's desires. What is Satan's desire? Is to kill. And look what it says. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. Red dragon, blood, stay with me. Go back to Revelation 17.6. He says, 
I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of who? Or the martyrs. The blood of those who bore testimony to who? To Jesus. To Jesus. He says, boy, I saw this. Those who died by the order of the beast who was influenced by Satan to kill those who would worship Jesus Christ, who would hold to the testimony of Christ. And he calls him the red dragon. Do you see what's taking place? Do you see the blood that is being shed? Do you see what's going on? We are in our own way are being desensitized to killing. How many deaths do you hear of in a week sometime? Yeah. Well, most of us, we just say, oh, well, it happened again. Or we say, boy, how could that have happened? We talk about it for a moment or two, and then it's what? It's past, and now a new one comes. And it goes from one extreme to the other. I was watching, I give her a station, but it says the 70s. And went back to Charles Mason. And all the people that Charles Mason killed. But then it showed this one man that was not very much talked about, but he had killed between 39 to 45 people and had buried them somewhere in his yard (laughs) or in his house. The tensity. The tensity of things. When the four young men got killed out there in that apartment, we talked about it. We're seeing his trial. We're hearing what's going on. And now he's sorry that it took place. But what was it that led him up that he could take a gun And shoot four people in the head. You think just shooting one. And seeing the results. Of somebody's head. When you take a gun this close. That you wouldn't want to do it. What? Again. But he shoots three others. We hear about it. We talk about it. The Beacon Journal writes about it. But we are soon, we forget about it. See what's happening to us as a society? So when this comes along, 
It's not going to be something new to us. We're going to be very much shut. Okay. And like I said last week, everybody's carrying a gun. Are we quickly going back to the wild, wild west? The quickest draw win? As a lot of older men say now, I won't say anything to a young man because I don't know if that young man has a what? I won't jump into a middle of an argument with kids anymore because I don't know which one might have. So Satan keeps pushing us away. He that knoweth to do right and doeth it not is what? Is sin. So even though you know to help or you know to break this up or you know to bring correction, you, we become fearful to bring correction. Why? Because we don't know what's going to happen to us. And we have put it in our heads. Well, that's not my child. That's none of my business. We are a community. We are a group of people who have to live with each other. And Satan keeps pushing the light back because we're scared over what might happen to us. If we are the light of the world and we are the salt of the world, when do we engage? And at some point we have to engage. And one of the reasons the world is in the shape it's in right now is because Christians have disengaged. And he says, boy, I saw the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. I have to really take that verse and I want to compare it with a person because maybe you have read their book, Corey Timboon. How many German Jewish individuals did they save by hiding them in their home when Hitler was out to destroy the Jews. But they engaged even at the risk of their own life and even wound up in a concentration camp because of what they did. The issue is we need to understand that as long as God gives us breath, we are to try to engage. Why? We are the peacemakers. We really are the peacemakers. And he says, boy, Babylon was drunk with the blood of the saints. But who influenced all that? Satan. Revelation 7, 9. Revelation 7. 
and verse 9. We, we, we spoke earlier about this great multitude. But to give you some type of sense of the number of people that will perish under this leadership of Babylon or under the leadership of the beast, under this false worship, under the reign of the Antichrist, is something to really look at. It's staggering. So in verse 9, he says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could what? Could count. And that multitude came from every nation, tribe, people, and language. And where are they? Standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God. It's a multitude that cannot be numbered. She's drunk on the blood of the martyrs. Satan, he comes to kill. Now understand this, he doesn't come to kill in a sense, everybody. His main target is who? And then everybody. <laughs> in other words, he's saying, y'all going to join me in hell and we're going to have a big party in hell. No, you're not. <laughs> but you're going to join me. I want you to be with me. And that whole process Look at verse 14 now. Come down into verse 14. Am I there? Am I there? Am I there? Am I there? He says, I answered. Because the angel asked him, who are these? And he says, I answered. Sir, you know. And he said, now look where they come from. These are they who have come out of the what? Great tribulation. This great multitude. Come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of who? Of the Lamb. This great multitude. Do we use the word slaughter? Do we use the word kill, murder, beheaded? What is it? But here's this great multitude that Satan in his own way, have slaughtered, have killed, have damaged. Now, we get upset with the Muslim world when it talks about beheading. But the Muslim world has been doing that for how long? And the thing about it, when you can see a number of people lined up and they just go along and zoom, 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 zoom. For no reason at all, Satan has influenced. Satan has seared the conscience where there's no thought about you're killing somebody's father, husband, 
brother, sister, you're not giving any thought to it. And understand, this is not an act of war at times. This is just an act of false teaching and confusion. And understand, the Antichrist is going to have false teaching and confusion. And he's going to point it towards one group of people. Those with the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, come on down with me in 11 just for a moment. Back in chapter 12. He says, another sign appeared in heaven. An enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns. Now, the seven heads and the ten horns represent, even as it did with the beast and so forth, nations and kings or nations and governments that are following after. Because Satan has went out to what? To deceive the nations. And it says, boy, ten horns. Now look at this. Seven crowns. The crowns show forth authority. Authority. That Satan has authority. That Satan is powerful. But understand something. He wears a crown, but he's not king of kings. He's not lord of lords. But he is one of authority and he rules. For the crown also represents authority and rulership over nations, over governments over people through his influence it takes place and he goes on I'm sorry I lost somehow this latter part but just stay here with me it says his tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky That were the angels. That's the angels. Seven heads, ten horns, nation, crowns, authority, ruling over nations. But I want you to take note of something. When he said it takes a third of the stars, that's speaking of the angels. Now stay with me. Don't 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 move off to your cooking. Don't go to dinner yet. Okay. What I want you to see, even in this, in God's creation, anything that worship God does it exercising his free will. Anything that worships God, whether it be the physical being or the celestial being, do it 
out of an act of free will. If the angels did not have free will, they could not have made a choice to follow who? Satan. But God gave them free will. Now understand this point because it's critical here. You and I and everything that worships God, everything that is created who has free will have these two choices and these two choices only. To serve or rebel. That's it. Either you're serving God or you are rebelling against the authority of God. You're only doing one or the other. You're surrendering to God and carrying out His will or you are protesting against God and His authority. You're only doing one or the other. Because God has given you free will. He will not make you serve Him. He's not going to force you to serve Him. He's not going to force you to follow after Him. That's why He says, if you love me, you will demonstrate your love for me by what? Keeping my commandments. If you really love me. It's not about what else is going on in your life. That if you really love me, don't matter what your husband's doing, don't matter what your bank account may say, don't matter what's going on with your children, and your world can be turned upside down. Even on your bed of affliction, you have a choice to praise him and serve him. For every nurse, every doctor that comes into your room to attend you, you can witness to them. Every time the Lord put me in the hospital, he's given me, put me in a room with somebody, I brought somebody in that room for me to witness to. And I just come to a point now when everybody goes to the hospital for a few days. Okay, God. Who am I supposed to talk to? And you remember the last gentleman. And I still got his little coin that he gave me. And you don't need to get it if you are a, what's that thing? A Navy SEAL. They're the only ones who can order it. And he ordered it for me. And he said, Pastor Brown, I want you to have that. But I never knew he was going to take his own life. but was able to share with him in the hospital. Elaine and I went to dinner with his wife and him, and we was able to sit and share. But I never forget when he embraced me back here, and he said, you'll never know what you've done for me. We'll never know how we touch other people's lives. We'll never know. Either we're serving and touching the lives of others, or we are rebelling and influence others to do what? To rebel. Doing one or the other. One or the other. 
And the angels here, a third of them, chose to follow Satan in this rebellion. Now, Satan can't be everywhere at the same time. But because there are so many of them, the message line can run very quickly. From east coast to west coast, north or south. The demonic influence and the messages travel very quickly. But see, he's not God. He can't be. And he can't know. Satan is limited. He's not omniscient. Nor is he all powerful. And it says, boy, his tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them where? To the earth. That's where the demonic influence takes place. That's where demons are active. And Timothy says that demons are teaching. That demons have the ears of people and they're teaching false doctrine. They're teaching false things. They're encouraging the wrong thing. That demons are doing it. You can't tell me when a man and a woman get ready to shack up or sleep together that there's not a consciousness and a war on the inside. The thing is, you got a demon on this ear and the Holy Spirit on this ear. You can't tell me a little child who's about ready to take something. Don't know it's not his and it's wrong, but he got a demon on this ear and the Holy Spirit on this ear. And it's that war in the middle to try. Who am I going to follow? Who am I going to listen to? Go to Revelations 5. Remember, he took one-third. But what I want to suggest to you is this. One-third is like a a drop in the bucket to God. Hey, listen to what the text will say here about those that stayed loyal to God, still praised his name, still was willing to be his messengers. Still willing to serve him. It says in verse 11 and 5. Then I looked and heard voice of many what? Many angels. Numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand. Can't give us a count. But what's a thousand upon thousand upon ten thousand? And it just keeps going. More than what we could ever what? Our trillions wouldn't even do it. And he says, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand. Then in ten thousand, they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice they sung, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. They had seen Him from the time the promise went through, even to the birth, to the cross, and now ascended into heaven, sitting on the throne, and saying, Worthy is the Lamb. 
yet one third is gone. But that one third is nothing but a drop in the bucket compared to what still is there. You see that free will. As I said earlier, God always deal with sin. Go to Second Peter two four. We do live under grace, and I am so thankful we live under grace. But I will not, and I dare not, and I fear for those who call themselves mocking God and make light of God. And even use the thing, well, I'm under grace, but I can sin and do this and do that. Grace is not a ticket for sin. Grace is not even written that, boy, yeah. Okay, uh, you got grace now, go sin. Paul said, God forbid. God forbid. And that's a dangerous area to be in. Especially if I consciously plan to sin and say to myself, God's grace will cover it. That's a dangerous place to be in. In Second Peter two four he says If God for if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in a gloomy dungeon to be held for judgment. If he did not spare angels, that ought to say something to all of us. I'm not trying to make you fearful about losing your salvation. No, that's not the issue here. The issue is God will punish sin, no matter who it is. If it's Pastor Brown who sins, God's going to deal with Pastor Brown. If it's elder so-and-so that sin, he's going to deal with it. Position does not exclude us from being judged for our sin. Titles don't, in, don't exclude us from being judged for our sins. And God simply, the scripture said, if he judged angels, Boy, that all causes us to shake a little bit. Hey. God's going to judge us for our sin. First of all, if you never accepted Christ, you need to accept him. If you never said, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins and come into my heart and save me, you're already lost. But if you're a Christian, there ought to be a fear about sinning 
not so much that you will lose your salvation, but over the issue that you lose a relationship that you treasure. A relationship that you treasure. And you would be desirous to grow in that relationship without damaging the relationship. Matthew twenty five forty one. Because hell was not made for man. It was made for Satan and his angels. But since man so desires to follow after Satan, he winds up in the same place. But that's not where God intended for man to be. God's intention for man was to be in the garden, to be in paradise, to be with him. God's intention for man was his creation that he could come down and walk with and talk with and be with. God's intention, God's desire. And God says it's his will that none should perish. Not even one would perish. You think that's Satan's intention? Satan's could be written is Satan's intention that not one go to heaven. Not one go to heaven. Not one. So he says... In Matthew 25 and verse 41, he said, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal fire. Prepared for who? The devil and his angels. Not prepared for man, but prepared for the devil and his angels. But Satan is out to deceive as many as he can. He's out to captivate as many as he can. He's out to show as many as he can that he's out to destroy them. He's out to bankrupt them. He's out to kill and to steal. And you and I need to be aware of his devices. You need to know when Satan's deceiving you. You need to know when Satan's tricking you. You need to be aware of his instruments and his tools. You need to know that. And when you know it, you cannot excuse it for your children, your grandchildren, your husband, your wife, your nieces, nephews. You can not excuse it. Because God says salvation is an individual act. It's not a family thing. It's an individual act. But when you see sin in someone that you love, you can't excuse it. You can't say, well, they're just doing what's going on in today's time. 
You can't just say that and say, well, everybody's doing this thing. What does God's word say? It was not, hell was not made for man. But since you desire to follow after your father, the devil, you go to the same address, same location, hell, and that's home for eternity. For eternity. For eternity. Satan is out to deceive and to kill. And we're going to pick up next week and we're going to see how he went after the child that would bring salvation. Because Satan in his mind, if he could get rid of the child that God would ordain to bring salvation, not knowing it would be God himself. So Satan begins to act in order to destroy that child that was going to come into the world, Emmanuel, God with us, to bring salvation to us. We're going to explore that a little bit next week. Father, we want to thank you and praise you, Lord. That, Lord, that your word is there for our warning, is there for our learning, is there, Lord, that we might teach it and share, and that, Lord, our hearts will be moved by it. Thank you, Lord, for your word. May we go home and regurgitate it. May we study it out to see if it be so. And may we continue, O oh God, not to just take the word of a person, but Lord, we ourselves. Search it out, study it out. I thank you for all the theories. I, I thank you for all the thoughts of other godly men. I thank you, Lord. But I thank you, Lord, that as your scripture says, study to show yourself approved, a workman rightly dividing the word of God. Help us, Lord, as we all desire to rightly divide your word. As we look into your word, that the teacher of all teachers would teach us. And that we would hear from you. And that, Lord, somehow as you teach us, we will be caught up and we will say, wow, oh, I didn't see that. I didn't take note of that. And that there would build up in us, oh God, 